0: Amen. Hey, we are on page 30. Nine. Nine. That's right, Jeanette. I saw that coming out. And once again, we're an intro to apologetics. And as you turn there, oh, by the way, how many guys uh, need an imagination killer, i.e. workbook? Anybody? Right on. Uh, Rebecca. Give it up for Rebecca, the little servant there. Uh, she lives in our house. Oh, oh she's my daughter. And could you hand a couple there right behind you there to a couple folks there? Right the the look at, Yeah, look at that. Wow, that's exciting stuff. Yeah, it's a rough life being a preacher's kid. I tell you what, they put you to work, and what do you do? But to anybody else over there, I'm going to get back there. Hey, give me a five, give me a five, I'm going forward. we get there, all right. And, uh... But uh, get you guys ready to go. But as you get your workbook, and if you got your workbook, turn to page 39. We're into the introduction to apologetics. And just to, by way of recap, we've already dealt with some apologetic things. Our world scoffs at God. They scoff at the gospel. They scoff at the Bible, etc. So that's what we're doing in our study, introduction to how to get equipped apologetically to give a defense. We already dealt with the existence of God, that logically everything has a beginning, And even the universe, they know that, even scientifically, so that implies logically there must be a beginner, i.e. God. That's an argument for his existence. Everything has design. This watch didn't pop out of the scene uh, out of nowhere. Somebody designed this thing. This is about 12 moving parts. Our bodies have anywhere from 50 to 100 trillion cells, which all have to be there at the same time in order to function. How many guys appreciate when your cells function correctly? Yeah, okay, right? So if this didn't happen by chance with 12 parts, you mean our bodies did with 50 trillion You know, mention everything, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But it shows design, which implies a designer, i.e. God. Then we flipped it around because our world is scoffing, skeptical, because of this lie called evolution, which really spawns evil, evolution, Okay, and uh, we dealt with that for 42 weeks. It's a big, giant lie. Then we went back to another existence, argument for God's existence, the argument of morals. Where did this universal moral law come from? Why is it even the native who never even heard of Jesus Christ or has a copy of the Bible knows inherently that it is wrong to murder, it's wrong to steal, you know, the Ten Commandments? Where did that universal law come from? A universal moral law giver, another argument for the existence of God because we were created in His image spiritually and morally as well. And then we got to the thing, well, really does, it boils down to, if you can get this far in the argument, so to speak, ultimately the person's going to say, well, oh, yeah, how do you know all that stuff? And we'll say, well, it's in the Bible. But then usually they'll come back and say, oh, pfft, the Bible. How do you know the Bible came from God? That's no different than any other religious book on the planet. Remember that? So it's very commonplace. And then we've been flipping around, and to use the vernacular, flip the script. And uh, to uh, flipping it around and uh, seeing that, okay, well, what is your source of truth, right? Flip it around. What's your source of truth, right? You want to discount the Bible. Uh, the burden is on you. You're the one that say it's a book whooped up by man full of contradictions. Of what do you base reality on? And we've been dealing with that as well. But we've been taking a look, okay, but what about the Bible? Okay, how do we know that the Bible really did come from God? And that's what we've been doing. Page 39, if God really did write this book, i.e. the Bible, then logically we would expect certain things. And that's what we've been looking at, okay, if it really came from God. We saw, number one, if God wrote the Bible, then you'd think he would tell us at least once in a while that he wrote it. What do we see? Just the Old Testament 3,800 times. How many guys would say he's trying to be emphatic about that? You know, a little bit. And that he uh, came from the very breath of God and God inspired uh, the writing. Why? Because he wanted to make sure that it was accurate to what he wanted things to say. That's common sense. And that's what we see. If the Bible really came from God, we'd expect it to be a popular book. How many guys are just blown every day when you get up and you read those ingredients on the back of that granola bar? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? You go, oh, yeah, I've got 319 more cholesterol counts I can have today. Whoa, life is good. Versus reading the Bible. Which one has a better impact? You better say the Bible, or we need help tonight. Okay, excuse me, granola bar. You no, know? okay, I don't care if it's got peanut butter chips in it, right? No, okay, uh, but there's something about the Bible. It's very popular, okay, and it's life-changing. We'll see that in a little bit. Uh, if, if it came from God, it should be timeless. It should be understood by everyone, whether it's not just for adults and people who have 19 degrees on top of 19 degrees. no. Anybody, even a young child, could read the Bible understand the gospel and be saved, as well as the adults. If God wrote it, it should be uh, unified and harmonious, right? No contradictions, no lies. Why? Because God is holy. He doesn't lie. Okay, and that's what we see with the Bible. And, of course, the Bible, if it really came from God, okay, and he created mankind, then it should have the ability to change lives, right? And certainly anybody been changed by reading the Word of God, whether it's in salvation or how about even since you got saved and you keep reading it? He keeps changing you, doesn't he? Okay, it's like the the old analogy of a masterpiece. You start out as a block of granite, and as you keep reading, renewing your mind, and serving Jesus Christ, growing your relationship to him, he just starts chipping away, right? And he chips away, not because he's being mean. he's, He's making a masterpiece. He's conforming us to the image of Christ, right? And the more that we read, even though sometimes his chipping is kind of painful... Right, because we get convicted and we realize that we're doing things wrong. It's, we're good. He's making a masterpiece, Okay, and that's what we're doing. And then we saw last time, if God wrote the book, we'd expect it to be powerful, and that's what we see. How many people over the centuries since the Bible was compiled together has tried to destroy it? And we saw that it not only doesn't work, because you're not going to destroy this book. This is a powerful book from God, I don't think you're going to overpower him or his book, okay? Try as you might, you're not going to destroy the Bible. Number two, we saw it's so powerful that several people who even were skeptics and who went out to disprove and try to destroy the Bible and Christianity, what happened to them? They ended up getting saved, okay? That's from God. And then we saw if God wrote the book, we'd expect it to be true. Again, why? Because God doesn't lie. He's holy without sin. And he wants us to know the truth. So then we broke that down into, well, if it's true, then we'd expect it to be true in a multitude of areas, historically, scientifically, archaeologically, philosophically, and morally. And that's where we left off last time, that it was historically accurate. We took a look at the uh, evidence of archaeology, which is the history of the Bible. The Bible mentions uh, actual historical accounts, people, places, things, and there was not one find, not one find, I'll say it again, not one find, archaeological find that ever contradicts the biblical account. Why? Because it's true. It's accurate, right? God never makes a mistake. Okay, man makes mistakes. Man scoffs at the Bible. You just keep digging. It's there every single time. And we left off, and then we saw, well, if that's uh, uh, the case, uh, and it is, uh, flip it around. Again, flip the script. Let's put it on these other folks that say, oh, we got the Word of God, too, like Mormons. How were they doing archaeologically? Zero (laughs) can't find anything that they say is written in that book unlike the Bible Okay, but now we're on the top of page 46 now we're at B It says is the Bible not just historically accurate with archaeology But now on the top of page 46 is the Bible scientifically accurate? Okay, is your blank there scientifically accurate Okay, the Bible was written, it says there, centuries ago, and it has many verses in that it relates to science. One would expect that the lack of modern scientific knowledge of the writers okay, would show through on this ancient document, right? And again, uh, there, there's a little bit of an illusion going on there, uh, per se, because uh, evolution would have you and I believe that the further you go back into mankind's history, the dumber man was, the less technological he was. But as we saw with our judge creation study, uh, the days of Noah, the, we find buried in the dirt what? High-tech technology. In fact, certain things that they did that we can't even repeat today. Why? Because that agrees with the biblical account. The exact opposite of evolution. These people from the get-go were building cities, they metallurgy, just out of the blue, and, and inventing music. And in mini- That's some serious level of intelligence. Okay, But <clears throat> uh, uh, in, in general, though, uh, <clears throat> the other cultures around... Okay, At the time that these guys were writing down the Bible, like certainly in the Old Testament, as so we're going to see the example Moses, okay, uh, you would expect that some of their kind of more superstitious stuff would come through the Bible. It would have an influence on these writers. Why? If the Bible was a book just whooped up by man, then you would think some of that would come through. Well, we're not going to see that, okay? Because it's not just... A book Whooped up by man God inspired it, but instead there's an amazing treatment of science in the Bible that transcends human invention and the knowledge of the period in which it was produced Okay, before we get into that of how the Bible does not contradict known true science in fact the Bible records Science that we're just now learning and it's been in the Bible for centuries before we get to that Let's flip it around, flip the script, so to speak, again, and let's put the onus of proof on uh, the other folks. Consider what the Bible does not say. Now, if the Bible was a book whooped up by man, a book whooped up by man, you would expect that it would have some secular, non-scientific influence. And that's what he says here. In 1862, we make that down a little bit, Bobby. In 1862, an American adventurer and antiquities dealer named Edwin Smith purchased an ancient Egyptian medical book in Luxor. So it was right down here on the strip It was right next to, uh, what was that, Uh, uh, the wrong Luxor. No, this is the actual one, not the one. And uh, 10 years later, Egyptologist George Ebers purchased and helped translate it. It is now known as the Papyrus Ebers, is your blank there? Papyrus Ebers, or Papyrus, P-A-P-Y-R-U-S, Papyrus Ebers, E b e r s. It was written in Egypt about 1552 B.C., around the time that Moses was born. Now, why is that important? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? Okay, so this is important. Now, since Egypt occupied the dominant position in the ancient medical world, you know, science, the papyrus is of great importance as a record of the medical knowledge of that day. So this is their science of that day that we have actual documentation of. When it was translated, it was really, and underline this, humorous. It was really humorous as to what they believed. For example, here's what is recorded in that actual medical, scientific, if you will, journal. Right? How would you like to go to a doctor today who did this? Quote, to prevent hair from turning gray, anoint it with the blood of a black calf, which has been boiled in the fat of a rattlesnake. Huh? And it's obvious, folks. Hey, what are you scoffing at? This is great science. The reason why you didn't have to worry about your hair turning gray once you did this is because your hair fell out and you didn't need to worry about it no more. It was, it was a surefire scientific technique. Let's move on. Uh, to prevent balding, this is, actually, this is their science of the day. To prevent balding, mix together the fat of a horse, a hippopotamus, a crocodile, a cat, a snake, and an ibex, and then mix in the tooth of a donkey crushed in honey. And again, the reason why you didn't have to worry about balding is because you not only lost your hair on this one, but your skin fell off, so you don't have nothing to bald. So. Uh, oh, oh wait, and victims of poisonous snake bites are to be treated with magic water. Let's say that, Ooh, magic water. And how do you get magic water? Well, believe it or not, this was pre-Walmart days. Uh, water is considered magic when it's poured over an idol. Wow. Okay, let's move on. Uh, splinters are to be treated with a mixture of worms, blood, and donkey dung. How many of you guys would go to your grave with that splinter in your hand and you would tell your mom, teacher, nothing? I'm fine. Are you kidding me? Right? To stop bleeding, rub donkey uh, dung on a cut. How many of you guys would bleed out? Right? Right? I'm <laughs> that? I'm fine. Anyway, to remove wrinkles, split a toad in half and apply it to the wrinkled area. Hey, you scoff, but this worked great because as soon as you put that toad on you, you passed out, and hit your head, and you died, so you didn't have to worry about wrinkles. Right? So, but this is their science, okay? This is the science of the day. This was the time when Moses was around. If this is a book whooped by man, you'd think this would somehow kind of this superstitious, goofy stuff would have worked its way in the Bible. But it goes on, he says this, not only that, that was their medical scientific knowledge, and we know this for a fact, but the ancient Egyptians believed that our planet was supported by five great pillars, okay, that the earth was what? Flat, how many times have you heard that lie? Oh, the Bible, I can't trust the Bible. The Bible teaches that the earth is flat. No, it's not, we'll see that in a second. Isaiah says there are a circle of the earth. The Bible has been saying the whole time, it's round, not flat. Egypt thought it was flat, The Catholic Church thought it was flat. Man taught it was flat, but not the Bible, right? Get your facts straight, okay? And that the blood contained evil spirits and that there was spontaneous generation to life. Me personally, I appreciated that. Actually, I think Brandy did more because it saved that whole birthing process. You should have seen when Rebecca was born, Ron, we were just walking around, right? We were just at Walmart, right? Just doing a little shopping. Next thing you know, we heard this, boom, right? And there she was, Rebecca, and we scrambled her tom, she just spontaneously burst onto the scene right there. We grabbed her before anybody else. Got a great price on it too. It was awesome, right? Took her home and then and then it was what it was about three years later. We were at McDonald's. Mind your own business, right? And next to us, you poo, and there came Billy. It was awesome, right? And so we said, so, okay, that's enough. We don't want to get greedy with this spontaneous combustion of life. And how many guys realize that's not how it happened? You can talk to Rebecca later if you'd like, okay? <laughs> In the Walmart, I really can't, oh no. Lower prices every day. But uh, uh, no, that's not how it happened, okay? But listen, that's what they really believe. That's their science. Oh, can I add this? Good thing nobody teaches that today. Evolution. Isn't that what they believe? All oh, this cosmic goop, everything came to existence. Same thing. If, that, if we would laugh at the Egyptians, and this is taught, in schools today, in universities, right? And we're supposed to accept that? That's crazy. Okay, But that's their science, okay? And by the way, why do people today, even on the History Channel, whatever, everybody's enthralled with ancient Egypt, all these shows about ancient Egypt, and we need to listen to the ancients, the knowledge of the ancients, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and ex- excuse me, if you're going to sit here and say, in order to cure a cut, whatever, i got to rub some dung on it and whatever and kill a cat and a crocodile, mix in some honey to get rid of my... I'm going to listen to you on eternal matters don't think so if you actually teach in essence basically that you can't get a kid walking through the Walmart aisle I'm going to listen to you when it comes to what's going to happen when I die I don't think so and yet people would scoff at the Bible isn't that wild okay they listen to that but they scoff at the Bible again scholars dated the papyrus Ebers back to the time of Moses now here's the point Here's the logical point. Where did Moses grow up? The Bible tells us, Acts 7, It tells us that Moses was educated in how much of the wisdom of the Egyptians? So Moses, we have the actual papyrus, the actual evidence right now of the education of Egypt that he would have been educated in in that day, including all this crazy medical stuff and the belief about the flatness and spontaneous combustion, all that stuff like that, okay? So logically then, if this Bible is just a book whooped up by man... This is what you'd expect. Don't you think we would expect to see some of the scientific ignorance and medical errors shining through the writings of Moses? Yeah, if it was a natural man-made book. But what do we find? No, absolutely not. No scientific mistakes. Not only is this true, but we also find that some of our modern scientific discoveries, that's your next blank there, modern scientific discoveries were recorded in the Bible the whole time, consider the following examples. And that's what you're going to see on your next page if you want to flip it over. I'll rip through some of those uh, with you. Uh, God uh, told the Israelites to separate people who had infection and disease from the rest of the community. It's called quarantine today. That was 1500 BC. In the 1500s AD, the Black Plague was killing many people in Europe. Then the people began following this biblical teaching uh, to separate those who had diseases. And guess what? It helped put it to the end. Didn't even have to go that far if you would have just did what the Bible said to do. Another one, God gave the Israelites many teachings about the washing of hands and clothing. In fact, I think Leviticus even says it has to be running water. Why? Well, we know that today. It's got to wash the germs away, not standing water because you'll leave with still germs. It's got to be, the Bible even specifically said that, running water, right? That's what the scripture says. The importance of washing to prevent the spread of germs was not recognized until 1865 by Joseph Lister, as in, listerine interesting now a little side note i actually looked this up uh listerine it is named after this guy okay but it, he actually didn't invent it. it was another guy but he got the got the name credits for it. but to me personally i think it was uh the guy who did invent it okay uh once he took a sip of that and it, it literally if you've ever used listerine it uh looked, took out four layers of your skin uh he blamed it on listerine so but it still took off but i'm Anyway, I digress. But uh, God told the Israelites that uh, to let the land rest every seventh year. That was written about 1500 B.C. Today, the practice of letting the land rest is known to be very important to the soil, especially in the Midwest if you're in a farming community. And uh, it wasn't practiced uh, uh, except by the Israelites until the Romans 200 B.C., God told the Israelites, uh, 1500 BC, every male among you who is eight days old. Why did God call out specifically eight days old uh, is is to be circumcised? Well, in 1935, how long it took us to find out? Just read the Bible. Uh, The doctors discovered the best day for a surgical procedure on a newborn baby is on the eighth day because that's when the blood is at the height of clotting. It's there in the Bible the whole time. Uh, let's look at a few more. Isaiah 40, 22 tells us the earth is round. Again, most cultures before the 16th century believed the earth was flat. We just read with Egypt, okay? Uh, so the Bible has always said it's round. Job 26 says that God hung the earth on nothing, i.e. it's in space. Most ancient cultures believe the earth was held up by something, whether it be Atlas or we saw pillars with the Egyptian people. Isaiah 43, 700 BC and Psalms 8, 1000 BC. The Bible records that there are paths in the seas, okay, is what it says there. In 1855, Matthew Fountainmory, the father of oceanography, oceanography discovered uh, that there were actual currents and paths in the seas. And when you hop on those currents, it's like you're, it's like you get on the escalator, you know, those walkways, the flat ones, right? How many of you guys enjoy it and just sit there? But the rest of it's like, this is guy time. And look how fast I'm going, right? Well, that's kind of like what's going on in the seas. You get into these currents, right, right? And and uh, you know, as we know that as uh, for those of you in that highly uh, educational film, uh, Nemo, you learn from Crush, right? The, hey, dude, right, right? You get in the the ocean current. Well, okay, the Bible's been talked about that all that time. Didn't discover it until recently, okay? God told Noah that exactly how to design the ark. We saw this in our study. They actually admit that this ark was absolutely perfectly designed. Had it been longer, had it been shorter, had it been wider, would have been unstable and fallen apart, broken in half, what have you. But it's a perfect design. Uh, Job, uh, 2000 BC, said that uh, light moves from one place to another. Newton discovered that in the 1600s. Uh, Jeremiah said that no person can count all the stars. Believe it or not, in history, they used to believe that, oh yeah, we can count them. But as they continue to develop telescopes, no, we can't count them, okay, uh, at all, especially with Hubble when that came on the scene. Uh, But anyway, it continues on. He says that uh, uh, Ecclesiastes talks about global wind patterns. We didn't even know about that because of satellites finally getting up there until the 60s, right? Bible has been talking about that all along. And Job uh, also said 2000 BC, Ecclesiastes, 950 BC, about the water cycle, and that was not discovered by scientists Uh, until the 1700s. The Bible does not contradict science again and again and again and again. Unlike the Egyptians, which everybody says, oh, the ancient mystery religions are so incredible. No, they're not. Okay. But the Bible doesn't contradict science, and uh, it predicts, uh, shows that we've been catching up to it, what it's been saying all along. But just real quick, we also, the Bible talks about the universe had a beginning. They just, uh, first page, first verse, the universe is composed of time, space, matter, energy. No new matter is being created. The universe is running down. Uh, life only comes from life. Humans are made from the earth. These are all recent things that we're catching up to. The Bible's been talking about this all along. Air has weight. The mountains are on the bottom of the ocean floor. Did you know they didn't have submarines back then? God predicted mountains. How are you going to find out there's mountains on the bottom? And how many of you guys have realized that if you actually dove into the sea and got that far and you basically went glub, glub, uh, you couldn't unglub yourself and go tell somebody about it. Very deep thought tonight. And pun intended, double pun there, deep thought. You're going, oh, good. Yeah, three of you got it, praise God. Uh, life is in the blood, the Bible talks about. Uh, sexual promiscuity is dangerous to your health. Shocker. Our culture needs to hear that one today. Atomic fission, light can be divided. Creation is made of invisible particles, i.e. atoms. Uh, there's going to be a vast fossil deposits in the earth. Where's all these dead bones come from? blood. That's right, whoever said that, a flood. A God created all mankind from one blood. Genetic mixing of different seeds is forbidden. The Bible warned in Leviticus 19 that it will result in inferior or dangerous crops and it can become harmful. Interesting, but that's applicable today. And I always have to share this one, Proverbs 17 22 says, a merry heart does good like medicine. Laughter promotes physical healing. So once again, please make the commitment this Sunday uh, when I share a, uh, the usual corny joke, laugh your guts out for your own benefit. Right? so let's make that commitment. I will always laugh at Pastor Billy's joke. Go ahead. Hey, praise God, you even got it started, man. You're just full of joy. Here's your first piece of gum later. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> Living in Vegas, gum dries up. Have you noticed that? It's, it's, anyway, let's move on. I digress. All right, so that's that science, okay? That's uh, that's what we see. Now, conclusion, next page. The conclusion is, several years ago, Time Magazine featured the following question on its front cover. How true is the Bible, right? Really? Why don't you do that on the other books on the planet? Why are you always attacking the Bible? Oh, and by the way, this is time. What's this weekend? Resurrection Day, right? Same thing when it comes around Christmas. When do these people always put out programs on TV that scoff and mock the Bible? Always those weekends, really? Why don't you do that to the other religions and their, their holidays? Oh, no. no it's a, there's something about the Bible they scoff at, right? Uh, on the final page of the eight-page article, the piece concluded, though, after more than two centuries of facing the heaviest scientific guns that could be brought to bear, the Bible has survived. And it is perhaps better for the siege, even on the critics' own terms, historical facts. The scriptures seem more acceptable now than they did when the rationalists began the attack Noting an example among many, the New Testament scholar Bruce Metzger observes that the book of Acts was once accused of historical errors for details that have since been proven by archaeologists and historians to be correct. Okay? Again, as we saw last week, I think that's God's way of saying nanny, nanny, boo-boo in Jesus' name. You keep mocking, you keep attacking, you keep doing But if you are honest with the research, you got to come back around and say, nope, I was wrong. The Bible's right again. Now, let's take a look at the next one, uh, number nine. Okay, Uh, for those of you still not hooked on Roman numerals, that would be IX. Uh, If God wrote a book, we would expect it to display supernatural power. Is your blank there? Supernatural power. Why? Because God's kind of supernatural, and he's all-powerful. Okay, Deuteronomy 18, verse 21 through 22. This is a little bit what we dubbed in, tailed in from last week. Towards the end, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? That's a good question. In other words, how do you know if we're being lied to? Somebody says this is what God said. How do you know? Here's what he says. Here's your acid test according to the Bible. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Why? How can we take that to the bank and know absolutely for sure that is not from God? Because it's not true. God doesn't lie. So it can't be from God. Easy. Case closed. Right? According to this test, a person was considered to be a false prophet if his prophecies were not 100% accurate all the time. Why? Because God never lies, right? In other words, if it it would take only one, if they got 99.9%, but they got one wrong, that's it. Don't listen to you. We're done. Uh, They were to reveal even one false prophecy would be a false prophet. The same is true about a book, i.e. the Bible. If a book claims that it is speaking from God, and that's what the Bible does... We saw just the Old Testament 3,800 times, okay? And if it predicts something that will happen in the future, but the prediction is wrong, we can know that book did not come from God, okay? But here's the good news. The Bible contains numerous examples of predictive prophecies showing that God is the only possible author. The Bible has more than 1,000 prophecies, okay? Is your blank there? 1,000 prophecies in it. These prophecies are about people, places, and events, 668 are historical. Is your next blank there? 668 are historical. None have ever proven false. How many? None. Only the Bible is 100% accurate in its prophecy. Now, again, flip it around. I e flip the script. Let's put the acid test on what other people put their hope in because we all know that psychics have a supernatural power that we need to pay money to to find out what's going to happen in the future. I uh, like what the one guy said. Hey, if psychics are real, and if they really have this power, then how come they're not there every week winning the lottery? Why do you have to charge people money? You you have money come out. Anyway, uh, amid hundreds of prophecies, biblical prophets are not known to make a single error. However, the study of prophecies made by psychics showed that of 72 predictions, only six were fulfilled in any way. However, two of these were vague. Two others were hardly surprising that the U.S. and Russia would remain world-leading powers. Turn to somebody and say, duh. Or if you want to sound spiritual, duh, <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. Woo, yeah. Right? Okay, is what he's talking about there. Uh, they It's crazy. But I, what I want to talk about is not only that. We talked a little bit about this. And uh, what they do is they basically they bait you into that. And we saw before there's two different ways that they classically do this. And it's what's called a, a cold readings and warm readings. Okay, and you see this even on TV. This is how they dupe people. You know, the, the, uh, what's the latest one? The Long Island, Medium, whatever. There was that John Edwards guy. You know, speaking the afterlife, your your grandma's speaking, you know, all this stuff. Here's actually what they do. This is common sense. They do what's called a cold reading, and they suck people right into it, making them you think that they have supernatural powers. And the cold reading is basically, you're coming in, they're reading you right there. It's a cold reading. And they're paying attention to what kind of shoes you got. Those nice shoes, classy shoes, because they can start telling what kind of a maybe economic structure you come from. Uh, they are, or those boots, the construction boots. Are you hard worker? You got mud on them. Are they clean? How's your jeans? Is it slacks? Is it jeans? What kind of a class are, are you coming from? How do you hold yourself? Is it more of a confident pose or just kind of like you're, you're, you know, down in the dumps, or you don't feel sure about yourself? Uh, things of that nature. Are you married? Are you not? Right? And they just do something as simple as this and go. You know, they, they see no ring on the finger, and and the, the, this the easy to suck people in. They have no idea they've just been read and duped, and they'll go, I see. That you've had several relationships, but you're still searching for that right one. How'd you know? How'd you know? Because you don't have a wedding ring on. But by then, they're already sucked in. They can say just about anything, right? And that's a cold reading and things of that nature. And there's other ways that they can do. Then they typically switch to what's called a warm reading. And this is where they go. It's called fishing. And they go fishing, and they let you fill in the blank form. And you've actually seen the psychics do this. If you're paying attention to their technique... Okay, it's a bunch of chicanery. And what they'll do is, they, and they'll even get something completely wrong, but they have a way of just avoiding it. And like I remember watching that Edwards guy, just watching his technique. And he will go there, he goes, okay, there's a, there's a person coming through. And um, it's, uh, it's a woman. And um, I, it, I, I don't know, if it, is it an aunt or a mother? And see, they're not getting any response from that person. They're not validating that. And he sees that. And so he'll go, no, but, and he won't he admit that he was wrong. He's guessing. He'll say, but you've, you've dealt with that already. You've already dealt with that. No, that's that. But, but there's another one coming in. So he'll flip it around. He'll go to a male figure. Uh, it's a male figure. It's, it's, uh, it's a, a male figure, really important. And then they'll fill in the blank. My dad? Yeah, yeah, your dad, your dad, right? Oh, and he's got him right there. All right, and then he'll just, he'll steer the conversation to where they start filling in the blanks. It's called fishing. That's a warm reading. Has, there's nothing supernatural about it at all. Although I do believe that certain people are being communicated with by demons, right? But demons do not have all-powerful supernatural ability like God. Only God is uh, uh, omnipotent and omnipresent, okay? But demons, I always sell the example because this is how they seduce people. They even promote this on TV because the police will go and hire psychics to find that murderer, right? And occasionally they'll go and they actually do find a body. Well, that doesn't mean they have supernatural power and this psychic might have actually heard a voice or saw a vision or whatever of the actual location. I don't discount that. That doesn't mean it's from God because this is common sense. Who do you think was there on the scene of the crime actually inciting and tempting and encouraging that murder to take place? A demon. So of course they know where the body's at. There's no supernatural, right? But people get duped into that as well. Okay, as well. But that's one enough that the world would do that. Okay, And their track record is horrible. But what I'd like to address is in the church. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And in the church, one of the most dangerous statements you could hear from uh, people today is this. God gave me a word, or God told me, or God told me to tell you. Now, what did the scripture just say? If somebody says they got a word from God, and if you get it wrong, the penalty we saw before was they're going to stone you. And again, that's with rocks right? And, right that you're No. How dare you say you had something from God? God doesn't lie. When he prophesies something about the future, it comes true 100% of the time. So how dare you say you got something from God and it didn't come to pass? Well, the, the, praise God, we're under the new covenant now. We don't stone people, but we do kick them out of the church. We discipline them, right? False teachers. You don't put up that baloney. Unfortunately, the church doesn't do that. I want to give you a couple quick examples, then we'll move on, of the proof that God gets it right 100% of the time. One of the big classic examples of this, uh, false prophets, is Benny Hinn. right? And I've had you know, people, they say, hey, Pastor Billy, okay, I like your teachings, but you shouldn't call people's name out. Really, what Bible are you reading? What Bible are you reading? Paul called, called, out, called out by name Philetus, Philetus, Alexander, Hymenaeus. Jesus, in public, called out the Pharisees. And if you read the, 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 the words there, it's got an exclamation point. He wasn't whispering in a closed meeting. (laughs) Excuse me. Why? Because God wants us to know the truth. And when somebody's coming and leading people astray, ultimately astray away from God, whether it be in sanctification, maturity, or salvation, lead them straight to hell. That's serious stuff. And as a pastor, as a shepherd of the church, you are called to warn the sheep. Not only take the sheep, but how they if you don't if you don't say nothing, you dance around. Well, it's somebody who's out there somehow something. Well, how are they going to find out through osmosis? This guy is a false prophet and a false teacher. I have no shame in that, right, amongst others. But listen to what, I'm going to give you some proof, okay? And and he puts himself and says many prophecies. Number one, he said, on record, actual recordings, the Lord tells me to tell you in the mid-90s, about 94, 95, no later, that God will destroy the homosexual community from America and he'll do it by fire. Did that happen? As soon as 95, the year 95, went over, 1995, and uh, New Year's Day, 1996, what should have happened? Should have expunged him from the church. The bookstore should have been deleted of all his stuff until he repented. Never done. Still to this day, never done. But they don't stop because the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do. Call these people on the carpet. God doesn't lie. See, the world picks up on this and goes, you goobers. We even see this guy's a bunch of baloney. But you guys never speak up. You never say nothing. And it doesn't doesn't end He said, the spirit told me, God, that Fidel Castro will die in the 90s. Did that happen? So what should have happened? That's another one, right? He said this, a prophetess sent a word to my wife to tell your husband that Jesus is going to physically appear in his meetings. And he said the Lord appeared to him recently in Romania. No, because that would be a second coming. The scripture says, when does Jesus come again? The rapture is next on the plate, but he doesn't come to earth. We go to meet him in the clouds. That's not the second coming. That's a different event. Second coming doesn't happen until the seven, Revelation 19 at the end of the seven-year tribulation. So how could you say that Jesus physically appeared? Now you're making a mockery of the scripture, right? And on and on and on it goes, okay? So what what should happen? Bye. His ministry should have dried up, but people keep sending him back. And still continues on. Another one, this is a popular one to move on. Pat Robertson. Have you ever watched that program? Not saying that all that's on that program is bad, right? And uh, I'm all for Christian media and stuff, but they'll be fast and loose with words like this Well, God told me, or I got a word from God. Or there's those of you out there who God is telling me right now that you got a backache. What are the odds of that? How about throw out an address? Because when God prophesies something, it's specific. We're going to see that hopefully in a second. Right? How about you give me that person's name, you give me the address, whip out their social security number, and then have it come to pass. Then maybe you were getting a little bit there. Oh, and never get anything wrong. But if you get it wrong, it should dry you up. But here's this. This is a classic example. And it's not that long ago, not just the show, but he was being interviewed by Benny Hinn on a program. And they were talking about the second term uh, of Obama going up against uh, Mitt Romney, Right? And so he asked Pat Robertson the uh, question, what's your opinion on Obama and Romney, and uh, who's, who's going to win? Well, Robertson said that uh, uh, Obama is not going to have a second term. Romney is going to win. And so Benny Hinn, this is a transcript from the, the interview. And Benny Hinn says, you believe that? And Robertson, absolutely, I believe that. And Hinn said, what makes you believe that? And I quote, direct quote from Robertson, because the Lord told me. What's the penalty if you get anything wrong even once? Shut you off, dry you up, we're done. Because God doesn't lie, that's a rotten example. Even the world knows better, right? And then he goes on, he says, he says uh, really, the Lord said that to you? And Robertson said, yeah, absolutely. I told Mitt a long time ago, I called him. I said, listen, I've been in prayer, and number one, you're going to win the nomination. Number two, you're going to win the general election. And he says, uh, and Mitt Romney said back to him on the phone, well, what can I do for you? And I quote, Pat Robertson said, give me a seat on the platform. And laugh, <laughs> and you wonder why people mock and scoff at us. You wonder why they, it ultimately comes back down and says, well, you know, we can't trust the Bible. And what? Listen, we don't even defend the character of God, right? And we let these guys keep doing this stuff. The world knows better. What are we doing? Well, you know, it's, it's crazy. But let's take a look at some of that proof that God, when he predicts something, it's 100% right. And he's very specific. He doesn't like, hey, I think somebody out there has a backache. Right There's some of you out there that have two eyeballs. I'm speaking. No, that's not how God predicts stuff, with all due respect. Let's take a look at the top of page 49. Uh, Here are some examples. Prophecy. The prophet Isaiah, writing seven forty-six eighty-one 681 B.C., predicted that a leader named Cyrus, who would lead an army against the Babylonians and allow God's faithful people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. At the time of Isaiah's prophecy, the Assyrians, not the Babylonians, controlled Jerusalem, and the temple was standing untouched, and that's in Isaiah 44. So did God get it right? Absolutely. The fulfillment, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in 586 BC by the nation of Babylon. In 537 BC, Persia defeated Babylon. 150 years after that prophecy, the Persian king Cyrus, God called, if you know the prophecy, he called that guy's name out, Cyrus, by name, before the guy was even born. Now that's a lot better than, I think somebody's got a backache. (laughs) I mean, we're getting specific here. A man who wasn't even bored when Isaiah predicted this, victoriously led the Medo-Persian armies against the Babylonians, declared that the captives were free to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Right, came to pass. Another one. Uh, In 586 BC, the city of Tyre uh, was considered one of the most powerful seaports in the world. At this time, the prophet Ezekiel predicted that Tyre would be destroyed by the Babylonians and other nations. Okay, And he also predicted that the city would be flattened, reduced to a simple place to fish, and that the city would never be rebuilt, and that's in Ezekiel 26. Fulfillment, the, that very year, Babylon destroyed part of the city of Tyre. Then in 332 BC, Alexander the Great destroyed the rest of the city, and it was never rebuilt again. And today, the place is just a flat rock where people fish. They lay their nets out there and do all that stuff, exactly like God said would happen. And that's just the tip of the tip of the tip. Of iceberg. And he says here in chapter 10, we're going to discuss in greater detail many more prophecies, okay? But I want to end tonight with just, I'm going to rip through some obvious evidence that, no, this is when God predicts something, he gets it right 100% of the time, and he's very specific, okay? Uh, I'm going to just share 30 prophecies uh, of Jesus' first coming, right? And these are specific things, right? Uh, the Messiah would be born of a virgin, born of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be a descendant of the tribe of Judah, heir to the throne of David, born in Bethlehem, There'd be a slaughter of the innocents. There'd be a flight into Egypt. He'd be preceded by a forerunner. John the Baptist declared to be the son of God. He would have a ministry in Galilee. He would come to heal the brokenhearted. He'd be rejected by his own people. He would have a triumphal entry. He'd be betrayed by a friend. He'd be sold specifically for 30 pieces of silver. He'd be accused of false witnesses. He would be silent to the accusations. He would be spit upon and smitten. He'd be hated without reason. His hands would be pierced. He'd be crucified with transgressors. That was predicted uh, before Uh, the Romans had even perfected crucifixion. Uh, He'd be scorned and mocked, given vinegar and gall. He would pray for his enemies. The soldiers would gamble for his coat. No bones would be broken. His side would be pierced. He'd be buried with the rich. He would rise from the dead and ascend to the right hand of God. That's just 30 out of around 300. Now, again, we've talked about this before. To get the amazing uh, uh, thing that's going on here is when you take a look at the odds. The odds of something like this event happening. Now, I just read 30. There's around 300, okay, of the first coming. There's over 300 of the second coming. But this is the odds it would take if just eight of these things came to pass. Just eight. Uh, Modern science of probability has calculated that any one entity in all of human history fulfilling just eight of those prophecies in one person would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Doesn't sound like much, but one in 10 to the 17th power is equated to, quote, mathematically, covering the whole state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars, but you're still not done. Then you take one silver dollar, mark a red X on it, hop in a plane, fly over anywhere in the state of Texas, drop that red X, uh, silver dollar out in that two feet deep, the whole state of Texas mess, right? land the plane down, get on the edge of Texas again, get a volunteer, blindfold them and say, you have one pick, you could walk through the whole state two feet deep of all these things, you have one uh, chance to pick A silver dollar, and it has to be the one with the red X. What are the odds that that person would ever get that red X dollar? The same odds calculated mathematically of anybody fulfilling just eight of those profits. I just read 30. But there's around 300. Like, somebody has two eyeballs. You're F. This is, no way this is by man, right? And so this is from God. He gets it right 100% of the time, okay? Now, let's just see about the second coming real quick, okay? Let's take a look at what the Bible says is going to happen when it gets close to Jesus coming again. Uh, Israel will return to the land. Israel will become a nation again. Israel would become a nation in one day. Israel will become a united nation. Israel would have a powerful military. Israel's currency would be the shekel, which happened in 1980. Uh, Israel would blossom as a rose in the desert. They'd become a source of world conflict. Uh, They would rebuild the temple. They're doing that right now. You'd see on a global scale a massive increase of travel, a massive increase of knowledge. There'd be a massive increase of unrest. There'd be an increase of earthquakes, famines, pestilence, wars, strange events in the sky, global catastrophes. You'd see a rise of false Christs, false teachers, increase of wickedness. The church would go into apostasy. There'd be a push for a one world religion. There'd be a global hatred of God's people. Uh, There'd be a rise of an antichrist and false prophets. Figure. There would be a push for a one world government, a rise of a global big brother society, a push for a one world economy. One man would have the technology at his fingertips to control all the buying and the selling on the planet, and they would ultimately push for some sort of marking system to be put in people's right hand or forehead. And it's a good thing we see none of those prophecies coming to pass. What? And again, that's just 30 of them. Okay? There's like 318, I think, of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He got all the 300 of the first coming right. What do you think he's going to do on the second? He's going to knock them out of the park, too. One third of the Bible deals directly or indirectly with Bible prophecy. Why? Because I think it's one of God's ways to demonstrate this book could only ever come from me. I never get it wrong. How many times do I have to demonstrate that? Right? It's much more profound than, ooh, look, they have a backache. Right? It's God's handiwork to show us this book came from him. One guy says this, unlike any other book, the Bible alone offers a multitude of specific predictions, some hundreds of years in advance that have literally been fulfilled. This shows us the Bible alone contains things logically only God can know, and thus reveals its divine inspiration. It can only come from God, right? Limited beings know the future only if it's told to them by an omniscient being. If an omniscient being is known to exist, and highly improbable predictions are made in his name, which come to pass without fail, then it's reasonable to assume that they were divinely inspired. And if the Bible contains such predictions, and it does all over the place, and it never gets them wrong, they are a sign, logically, of the Bible's divine origin. Right? Prophecy is important, certainly, as we see many times here at sunrise. Not only to show us that it's getting close to Jesus' return, But Bible prophecy is one of the easiest ways to demonstrate to the skeptic, there's no way this book came from man. It's a great Bible prophecy is a wonderful apologetic technique to let people know, no, there's something special about the Bible. You might want to listen. It really came from God. We'll finish up. It says, there's many prophecies in the Bible about the end of the world, Jesus' return, judgment, heaven, and hell have not yet been fulfilled. But since the Bible's proven itself correct 100% of the time, in the prophecies that have been fulfilled, don't you think it would be wise to take the prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled very seriously? Yeah, and we'll conclude. The offer of the gift of forgiveness of sins, forgiveness is your blank there, the offer of forgiveness of sins and abundant life, abundant life and eternal life is your next blank there. Forgiveness of sins, abundant life, eternal life through Jesus Christ is the core message of the Bible. And it sets the Bible apart from all other books in history. I think God certainly wants us to know the future, okay? And uh, again, we've dealt with that many times. But I think God also with prophecy uses prophecy to logically appeal to people, so to speak, and let you know, listen, I'm telling you, if you look at this logically, there's no way that this could come from man. This really came from me. Why? Just for prophecy's sake? I don't think so. I think it's ultimately so people realize that, wow, there is something special about this book. And so I not only need to take what he says about the future seriously, I need to take what he also says about Jesus seriously and everything else that's in there, including the cross, including why he came, including why he's coming again. You see what I'm saying? I think it's to grab people's attention that, listen, you want to trust everything that's in that book, ultimately, when it comes to salvation, when you're not saved. Amen? Amen. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156.